This episode of the Global Franchise Podcast is brought to you by Fit20, a revolutionary 20-minute fitness concept disrupting the industry. For more information about how you can become a part of this exciting network, head over to fit20.com. Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, your hands-on guide to the biggest brands in franchising today. I'm Kieran McLoon, editor for Global Franchise Magazine. It's because we all live in this Amazon.com world, if you will, where it's I want it, when I want it, how I want it, where I want it, and I want to be able to access all of it from my smartphone or whatever technology device I'm comfortable with. And so guests have just evolved that expectation and restaurants aren't immune from that. So we not only have had to meet that need to stay, I think, competitive and top of mind for our guests, but also we live in a world where, you know, Instagram eats first, the phone eats first, you know, you have everything that is tied back uh, to how folks are interacting with their technology. And, and so that includes how they dine. Dickey's Barbecue Pit has been a staple of the North American food scene since Travis Dickey opened the first location's doors in 1941. In the 80 years since, the brand has grown into a franchising powerhouse with more than 550 locations across 44 of the US states. Internationally, Dickey's has two sites in the UAE and has signed a handful of deals to open in further markets in the coming years. As well as its beloved barbecue, the brand is also known for its evolve or die mentality, a mantra that has seen it persevere through a pandemic and come out the other side larger and stronger than ever before. To get a full understanding of how Dickies is continuing to evolve its offering, we caught up with Laura Rea Dickey, the brand's CEO. Laura has been with Dickies for a number of years and was previously Chief Information Officer, so she's the perfect person to talk to about how this legacy operation is remaining current in the modern age. And despite, for example, my ability to not turn off uh, the sounds and different things, we're actually, for this podcast, a, a very tech-savvy brand. I like to describe us as a very a spry senior citizen, if you will. Uh, we are eight years old, but it was a need that we saw, Roland and I, coming out of uh, the 2008 recession, actually. We took a look at the business and said, you know, every challenge and every recession is different, but what would what would be in order of things we wish we had had? Uh, and the first really was better data and better technology. We had a lot of great fundamentals for the brand. We have you know, really solid operations. We've just grown organically as a family brand. And one of the areas prior to 2008 that we hadn't um, paid a lot of attention to was technology. And so we looked at that and said, one of the things that would have made all of those challenges easier was better access to all the information. We had good data in different parts of the company, but it was very siloed. It wasn't actionable. It wasn't accessible in a timely manner. And so we really put together a, a 12 year, 10, 12 year roadmap and said, we have got to you know, become best in class in our technology in the same way that we are with our food, with our folks and with our training and the other types of and parts and pieces of the business that you think of with restaurants. And so the first thing that we set up doing was Smokestack. It was really taking and pulling all the information, all the data, um, everything that was available to us and putting it in you know, a big data platform and making that accessible. And then really started to see some great insights across the business where we could connect 
you know, what our guests were telling us. We could connect our marketing and advertising with our inventory, with our sales, you know, prior to our data initiative and, and setting up Smokestack. You know, we were getting sales data at, you know, a week, which is unbelievable to think about that now um, compared to getting, you know, almost real time data that's updated every 15 minutes at every data point across the system. So really a fundamental change for us. And then I've just continued to build out uh, kind of data and information first. I'm a big believer in owning your own data and having access to your own data. And we certainly use some third party resources to pull data in, but we pull it all into our database so that we always have access to that information, both real time and our historical data. And then from there, we just started adding on to our tech stack. We uh, opened our you know, really kind of a tech company within, within our company. Uh, we co-sure our developers between the U.S. and Croatia. And we then built out online ordering. We built out our app. We built out our own proprietary point of sale system all to be able to control the technology and really have the technology meet the business need instead of asking uh, the business to meet the technology need. And so that's really been our philosophy is how can we make the technology, you know, really support the business without having to ask the business, our restaurateurs, our operators, our partners, you know, adjust how they do business. And that's really worked for us. And it's certainly made a huge difference to have that technology base of going into the pandemic, for example, made a huge difference for us. And um, some of our listenership may not be aware, Laura, that before becoming a CEO for Dickies, you were the brand's chief information officer. So it makes sense, of course, that you know you would be very immersed in that tech side of things and the data-driven uh, analytics that come along with that. Um, do you think that franchisors, specifically in the food uh, food space, the restaurant space in which you guys operate, often perhaps overlook the importance of tech integration when growing their their franchise networks? Absolutely. I think that is something that's very easy to do because if you look at the restaurant you know, industry and you know, restaurants go back to Roman times, they can certainly function in principle um, completely disconnected from technology. That's just not a business reality. And what's really uh, kind of emerged is the ability to run your restaurant without that, um, but you can't connect with your guests anymore. And that's really where I think the guests have led the innovation in in really successful brands is because we all live in this Amazon.com world, if you will, where it's I want it, when I want it, how I want it, where I want it. And I want to be able to access all of it from my smartphone or whatever technology device I'm comfortable with. And so guests have just evolved that expectation and restaurants aren't immune from that. So we not only have had to meet that need to stay, I think, competitive and top of mind for our guests, but also we live in a world where, you know, Instagram eats first, the phone eats first, you know, you have everything that is tied back uh, to how folks are interacting with their technology. And, And so that includes how they dine. And so I think it's very important uh, to have that involved in the brand, even though technically, yes, you can serve a great meal without it. And I definitely hope that folks do put down their phone and and just enjoy having that that great barbecue. But it is certainly, I think, something that from a business standpoint is now a necessity, even though on the surface um, you could say, well, is is that really one of those key business pillars? And I think it has become so, even though it definitely didn't used to be. 
And um, on the note of innovation, uh, Dickies, of course, was one of the notably one of the first brands within the um, the restaurant space to launch contactless delivery um, back in last March around the beginning of the pandemic. And I was wondering, Laura, whether you could tell me a little more about what that process of transitioning into, I guess you'd call it uh, pandemic preservation mode looked like. I mean, you know, with you guys having such a, um, a tech integration with the brand was that quite a seamless experience or were there some challenges that you came up against great question and that really was what the shift was was into preservation as we called it uh, survive to thrive again and in actually uh, ron and i that, that run the business and our companies together i was traveling for work uh, in march when everything kind of closed from the middle of the country out to both the coasts he was in texas i was in florida and we got on the phone together and we said, in order, what do we absolutely have to do? And he said, you know, I'll take this piece. And he said, secure the website. What's going to happen for us to continue to do business is to make sure that we can handle the volume. So thankfully for us, that was a difference in degree instead of a difference in kind. And so I think that is absolutely one of those things that um, made not if we were going to make it, but how we were going to make it a reality. We weren't dependent on third-party vendors. We had control of all of those things. We could immediately begin shifting uh, you know, different, everything from you know, server space and all of the different things you need to te- to literally just fundamentally um, increase your traffic 300% on your website, which is what we did in a matter of hours, essentially, uh, but to also be able to do the things like take the customer experience and adjust it. We were able to very quickly take a lot of our dine-in things that were fundamental to the brand that I think when folks think of Dickies, you know, they might think of the barbecue in the barbecue pit, but shortly thereafter, they think of kids eat free on Sundays and they think of family packs and some things like that. And so those had always been dine-in features for us. So we were able to very quickly adjust that to be available online. And then because of our technology, we were able to do, you know, podcasts similar to this with all of our operators. So for the first several weeks, every day we would log in and across all 46 states and over 500 locations, we were online together and we would talk through challenges. We would talk through the reality of what was happening, where our supply chain issues were. Uh, And so I think that ability to communicate, to be set up, to have that type of interaction, and then to have folks know that they have always had online ordering. We've always had delivery, you know, in recent history. And so then it again became very easy to walk through. Well, here's what contactless delivery would look like. Here are these shifts that are thankfully very small adjustments to the base that we already had in place. Because I definitely looked out across the industry and the and the brands and the really great folks, uh, so many that I have so much respect for, couldn't make that shift because it sounds very simple uh, to say, well, you serve in your restaurant. You know, it's not that much of a leap to serve to go or to serve delivery or third party delivery. And it really, it is, there is a lot of thought that has to go into how you, how you package, how you prep an order, how you ensure that entire experience happens seamlessly for the guest when you're you know, one step removed from the guest. And so I think that definitely made a huge difference for us. And we were just able to move very, very quickly. 
Yeah, it definitely sounds like you were ahead of the curve, as you say, which uh, is great because it meant that you could continue serving throughout the pandemic and achieving those really great numbers. Um, if we if we look at Dickies from uh, on the international stage, um, considering that the brand began its franchising journey uh, almost two decades ago now in 1996, oh no, over two decades rather, in 1996, um, why is it that international franchising for Dickies only really started off in 2018? And uh, secondary to that, um, why was it that key markets such as Pakistan, the UAE and Australia, why were those specifically selected as um, great locations to take the Dickies brand? I definitely think that international franchising is something that we had had as a goal for a long time, but it was about making sure that we had the fundamentals in place, that we could absolutely deliver on that legit Texas barbecue experience anywhere in the world. And so we wanted to do that very carefully with the right partners to make sure that we had the right supply chain, that we could make sure that we could deliver on that. And so it just really took us until that time that we felt comfortable that we could deliver on everything we wanted the brand to be so that if a guest was sitting in Dubai, their experience wouldn't be that much different than if they were sitting in Dallas, Texas in our original location. And so we needed to make sure that we also had a great local partner and that just fit for the UAE. absolutely wonderful folks that already were in the uh, restaurant space. And so that was a very uh, important piece for us that they very much understood uh, the restaurant space and guest service and those sorts of things. And so then we could just bring to, to what they already knew how to do well, how we delivered on that. And then again, we had the fundamentals where the technology was there, that we could have the supply chain, we could have everything that we felt like was really necessary to just truly be a Dickies experience. And so that's why that market, that partnership in the UAE was our first endeavor. And then since then, we have certainly taken what has worked well and and made a blueprint, if you will, for finding the right partnerships in the right market. And that is definitely folks that have the uh, ability to invest in a long-term growth of a brand so that it's a multi-unit situation because doing uh, international expansion, you really need to be able to have a presence. So after the UAE, um, we were able to partner in Australia and Brazil. And while those openings have been slowed down from the pandemic, we have opened in Japan and Singapore, uh, both markets that um, are, are doing incredibly well for us. Again, the same situation with uh, strong partners that were able and willing to do multi-unit, uh, understood long-term investment to establish a brand um, internationally, and had the same commitment to the food and the folks and you know that big Texas experience that we want to deliver. And uh, and you mentioned there, Laura, that you're kind of aiming to deliver the same experience in somewhere like Dubai as you would in Texas itself. And I. Uh, uh, kind of on that note, I was wondering whether there were any um, sort of adaptations or there was any need to change the direction when entering these overseas markets or whether the, you know, the very Texan, very American Dickies kind of image and brand um, has resonated no matter what country you've entered. Well, I think it's hard to ignore that bigger in Texas uh, personality that is definitely there with the brand. There is something um, that is iconically recognizable. And so we have certainly kept a lot of the fundamentals. I do think, especially in an international market, we look at that as we're a guest 
And so it is absolutely uh, our responsibility to be conscientious and to make sure that when we are you know, making a place for the brand internationally, that we are very aware of you know, being a good guest. And so that definitely um, included adjusting about 10% of the menu to what was um, you know, more appropriate in, in the UAE and in Dubai, the same thing um, in Japan and Singapore. And so we look at that as a, an adjustment of some of the things, but keeping the core. So we still have the same smoking process. We still have the same recipes. We still have the same food. You're going to walk in and it's going to look very similar. Um, you're going to go and interact with a certified uh, pit master, you're going to pick out your meats that are there that are smoked on site. Then you're going to pick out your sides. And so that experience is all very much the same, but you may have additional side items. Uh, we added a uh, lamb to the menu um, in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. We've added a uh, rice dish to the menu in Japan. And so those sorts of adjustments, uh, we've actually added an extended ice cream selection um, in the UAE as well. So those sort of adjustments, but the core of, of what we do and what we serve is the same. It's still absolutely uh, beef brisket led all the way. Um, Dickies as an organization is uh, renowned for being family run. And, you know, since I think 1941, the CEO of Dickies has always had the surname Dickie. Um, I was wondering, Laura, whether you had any thoughts on how important you think it's been in keeping the brand consistent throughout its eight-year history in having that family-run angle? Do you think that that's had an impact on the way that the the franchise has uh, has operated in those years? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's been something that has been really fundamental to the brand. And yet, on the other hand, what I respect so much about uh, my father-in-law, who I've enjoyed working with, he has, I always describe him as if Winston Churchill and Rodney Dangerfield had a baby. That's my father-in-law. And then you throw in the Texas twang and, and he's the full package and, and there's just no, there's no substitute for him. Uh, and he's so wonderful, but he absolutely required that anyone that was going to work in the business that was part of the family had to go out and work on their own first. They had to go out and be successful. He required that of both of his sons, of anyone that, that wanted to be involved to say, go make sure that you can do this. There's nothing you can do about us being charged with nepotism, but we can absolutely make sure that if this is the right fit, uh, that you are legitimately successful on your own. And so I think that was very, very, very important. And so he took uh, the restaurant from his father. It was a single restaurant in Dallas, Texas, that is still open and operating that original location. It's never, it has the distinction in, in Dallas of being the oldest continuously operating restaurant that has never closed, changed ownership, changed names, shuttered, shuttered its doors in any way. But that was the only location when uh, my father-in-law took over and it was because his dad passed away and he had to continue. He was in college at SMU at the time and he really just had to make a living for his mom and for you know his wife. Uh, and so he took over the business and he's really the one that took it from a barbecue joint to a, a restaurant brand. And then when he brought Roland in, that's when they really evolved. They had just started franchising and Roland really took and 
and took the business then from what was a family chain to a true restaurant business, restaurant brand. And so I think that watching that evolution and the continuity of their vision and the continuity of their passion, and there's that point where it's just, it's personal, it's our last name. We love that. There's absolutely no such thing as a separation of, of work and the rest of life. It, it just is what it is when you're wrapped up in, in a brand in that way. Um, so I think that there's that personalization, that commitment, that it isn't just something that you walk away from at the end of the day. And that's certainly impacted our choices and the type of investment and the plowback that we've made in the brand. That maybe if it were just an investment or just a number on a balance sheet to other folks, um, the brand might have evolved differently. But for us, it's always been uh, personal and you know, just a passion and loving what we do. Um, that being said, I think it's also, you know, each generation has left their own mark in their own way. And so I'm sure that it has impacted the brand, definitely. Yeah, no, that sounds like you've really got the best of both worlds where you have the consistency of the brand name. But as you say, everyone involved still has that um, business acumen to really drive the Dickies brand into the next uh, generation. And um, kind of on that note, and earlier we spoke about, you know, Dickies being very much on the cutting edge of technology. Um, a recent news story about the brand, uh, which perfectly exemplifies that, is your partnership with um, Combo Kitchen to bring at least 100 Dickies ghost kitchens to the US. Um, and I was wondering, Laura, if you'd be able to tell us a little about um, kind of the the background to that deal and um, how you perceive ghost kitchens as part of the, the kind of future of uh, the restaurant industry's growth. Absolutely. You know, it's been a, definitely a part of the restaurant industry in some countries um, more than others. And I think definitely you can say that the Asian markets have led that innovation. And so I think a lot of uh, the technology, uh, certainly in some ways accelerated by the pandemic, of what folks' expectations are, of what uh, that restaurant experience is, um, has been accelerated. And in some ways, the U.S. and other parts of of the world are catching up to to where um, folks that have been uh, virtual kitchen, ghost kitchen, um, all of those different folks, they, they've been operating very successful. I think you have a set of fundamentals that whether or not it's a brick and mortar or a virtual kitchen have to be in place. You have to have good food. You have to be about guest service. You have to still really be good at your craft. I think that the ghost kitchen, the virtual kitchen is a wonderful opportunity to extend brands. And I think now the market is much more palatable to that, especially in the U.S. from a guest standpoint, as so many more folks have become comfortable with third party delivery, where they're not interacting uh, very much, if at all. Uh, with the brand directly. And so I think that's accelerated that. So I think that's a trend that is here to stay uh, because the guests have welcomed that because really, truly anything fundamental uh, has to be led by the guests. It has to be led uh, by the end consumer saying, yes, this is what I want. This is how I want it. And so I think that there's a wonderful opportunity because it cuts off um, so many um, long-term expenses and it also really decreases your overhead to get involved in the business. So I actually think it creates an opportunity for, po for folks to enter the space, uh, particularly in franchising with proven brands um, that might not have been able to do so if they had to go through a much more extensive and expensive um, construction and finish out process. So I think there's a, a, a real opportunity there 
for folks that wouldn't have been able to to get involved um, in the industry. And so I think that's a, a very big positive. I think uh, one of the things that we'll see, just like with everything else, uh, trend-wise, is you'll have a settling. Of course, you'll have a balancing of folks that have gotten involved and, and really to, to see the same fundamentals that are required in virtual kitchens and ghost kitchens that are in any part of the business. And that's just truly great food, good service, and the ability to connect and deliver on what a guest wants. Uh, but I do think you'll continue to see ghost kitchens. I think that's here to stay. Yeah, I think, um, as you say, it's been a fundamental part of the industry for a number of years now. But um, like many sort of tech aspects over the past year, the coronavirus has really accelerated that to where I think we're going to see a lot more of those, which is very exciting. And um, kind of on that note of the pandemic, the the last question I've got for you, Laura, uh, is just as we hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, begin coming out the other end of this and the, the kind of coronavirus dust settles um, across the US and across the world, um, what can we expect to see from Dickies over the next two, five years? Um, you know, what kind of uh, markets are you maybe looking for? Are some of those deals that we've spoken about going to begin, um, you know, we're seeing the developments of those. What does Dickies look like in the coming years? I think that you will see uh, your favorites stay on the menu, but be available in more markets. I think growth is absolutely uh, something that you will continue to see from us. We'll be at 700 restaurants if we stay off on our development path by the end of the year. And so we're over 550 now. Uh, and then we'll introduce ourselves to more and more markets. I'm very, very, very excited as the pandemic is receding, thankfully, uh, to open those markets that are there and we're so close to opening. Uh, and so you'll see Dickies, you will see an absolute focus and commitment to our core and our brand and our roots, but we'll see it in more places. And then we'll you'll just continue, I think, for us to see that 2.0 and that 3.0, if you will, and all the technology that will continue to invest and, and expand. And that, that absolutely will be a part of the brand. We're launching an update to our mobile website uh, next month. Um, that was also a bit of uh, fortuitous serendipity in that our website update launched at the end of March last year in April, and that had been 18 months in, in development. And so that was also one of those things that was that was well-timed, if, it, if it, it, there is such a thing. And so you'll, we'll continue to see that, that we'll innovate in our menu, we'll innovate in our technology, and we'll just continue to serve as many folks as we can legit texas barbecue every day well that all sounds very exciting um thank you very much for joining us laura it's been really great catching up with you today absolutely my pleasure Laura's initial categorizing of Dickies as a spry senior citizen is the perfect image of what the brand has been able to grow into in today's franchise market. It's backed by 80 years of legacy and experience, but thanks to Laura and the brand's tech team, Dickies is always aiming to be on the cutting edge of technology and convenience. This is embodied by the brand's recent ghost kitchen expansions, which I imagine we'll be seeing a lot more of as Western markets become familiar with this form of restaurant experience. In the same way that everybody and their grandparents can now use apps like Uber Eats, it shouldn't be long before the idea of ordering from an entirely virtual operation becomes mainstream. We'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think the restaurant industry will look like over the coming years? And how should brands prepare for that today? Make sure to let us know.
If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.